strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, it's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. Easy to download, easy to sign up for, never miss a minute of the show. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get the most money selling your home for cash at highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. This morning at 8.35, we had on uh, former county attorney Rick Romley, who was in an interesting position having run this office once before, having supported and endorsed the current county attorney in in, uh, Alistair Adele, and is now calling for her resignation and has done this before this last debacle happened inside that office, where about 180 cases, criminal cases, misdemeanors as they were, have not been filed because the statute of limitations has run out. So, Mr. Romley, I asked him out of the gate. How did this happen, and is this something that happens very often? I don't quite understand how it slipped through the cracks for literally a year on misdemeanors. Generally, those are filed relatively quickly and in a timely manner. I mean, those are not the most complex. The police reports are generally pretty short, so it doesn't require a lot of attorney time on those particular matters. So I'm not quite sure how that had happened. I'm hearing that they are having significant problems with staffing, that they're not able to uh, recruit attorneys to come into the office. So that will increase the caseload. But quite frankly... There's just a lack of oversight by management. So, um, you know, lack of oversight by management and leadership always has to take the fall for things of this nature, and they need to. The governor was asked about this as well, and this is what Governor Ducey had to say about it. First, I want to say I want to express support for the line-level prosecutors in that office. They are the unsung heroes of our criminal justice system, and they deserve support. This issue is really unacceptable. The police officers that put their life on on the line every day and the victims of these crimes deserve justice. So I think we need to see this office turn itself around and restore confidence with the voters, the victims of crime and everybody that wants to live in a safe community deserves that. What about Alistair Adele? She should step down. I think leaders should take accountability for their actions and not blame people on their team. And when you when this when this happens, and I think the governor's 100 percent right on this, that leadership does have to have accountability. And this goes back if you if you're not unaware of the entire the the entirety of this story, um, word came out that Alistair Adele was suffering. The county attorney is suffering from alcoholism. She has been dealing with alcoholism and some other issues. Had taken some time off and a leave of absence to go into a rehab facility to work on a lot of those issues. And then um, accusations were coming out of from the managers in her office, people that worked directly for her and the managers of different departments came out and signed a letter, sent it to her. They also sent it to the State Bar Association saying that they were requesting that she step down, that they had lost faith in her ability to run this office about uh, during what was going what currently was going on. There were accusations that she was showing up at work impaired, which she categorically denies. And so from the beginning of this, and it wouldn't matter who you are, it has got to be difficult. I, I, I would imagine it is difficult to admit you have a problem, to admit to the people closest to you or to admit to yourself that you have you, you have an addiction. You have a, it's an issue. And I believe it's a disease. I don't condemn people that are addicts. I condemn people that perpetuate their problems and do nothing about them. But her get, seeking help is commendable. 
having to do it publicly is horrible, but she is in a very public job. So there are two things that work here, and they work um, side by side. One is... I would say most people wish her the absolute best with her health. They want her to be well. And I would put myself in that category for sure. I want her to be well. I don't wish anything bad on her. Not at all. The other part of this is, as a citizen of Maricopa County, this is such a critical role in our justice system that the citizens of Maricopa County must have faith in the ability of this office to run. For the sake of the victims, for the sake of the safety of society, for the relationship between the office and law enforcement that does all the hard work under really adverse circumstances with staffing issues. There, it, it's frustrating a lot of times for law enforcement to do the legwork and then have a, a prosecutor's office say, we are not going to prosecute this case because there isn't a high expectation of conviction. And so allocating resources to cases that are more likely to be won sometimes is a better management of their time or whatever. That's frustrating. This is an even bigger issue. This is a huge issue. One of the issues that was addressed with Mr. Romley, because I asked him specifically about the morale of the police department and the relationship between the prosecutor's office and law enforcement when something like this happens. It hurts it tremendously. And in fact, I got a call yesterday from um, a detective that I've known for a number of years. He was just outraged about the article. You know, those relationships, you know, they, they, you must work closely and for the common good. And if they don't think the county attorney's office is doing their job, they're saying, why do I ha- Why should I even do my job if the county attorney is not going to do theirs? It's a slippery slope that we get into if we don't do the job well. And that's absolutely the case. They work hand in hand on everything they do. And from the most serious cases, murders and things of that nature to misdemeanors, you know, police officers are trained very early on to dot the I's and cross the T's. And, and there is a there is evidence and there is a chain of custody of evidence. There are all these things that law enforcement is responsible for. Then when law enforcement drops the ball, it's frustrating to the prosecutors and vice versa. If you don't get a warrant signed, if you do things outside of the rules then you lose a case because of a mistake made by law enforcement then people you know prosecutors and victims get outraged in the end the victims deserve better in the end the victims of crimes deserve to know that the justice system is reliable and outside of you know a, a, a once in a great while mistake justice will be served And in this case, whether it's DUIs or domestic violence or or assault or criminal damage or these cases that are are being dropped, we don't know how many of those cases were repeat offenders. We don't know the long-term fallout of this. But for the victim's sake, it's got to be a nightmare. You know, the police officer's morale is one thing, and I am not diminishing that. But all I keep thinking about are the victims of crimes. And these crime victims that are not going to see justice. When it happened to me and my case wasn't going to be prosecuted because there wasn't a reasonable expectation of of um, conviction, I, I was furious. And I ended up it ended up being prosecuted in the city of Phoenix. And uh, the guy pled guilty to both charges. And 
I remember thinking to myself, I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything right. I had every opportunity to inflict damage on this person, and I didn't. I didn't throw a punch. I kept them off me. This person was attacking me, throwing liquor bottles at me, wanting to fight, threatening to kill me. And instead of me imposing you know, physical damage on this guy, which I could have hurt this kid. He was much smaller than me. He was just high as a kite. I let the police handle it. And then to find out that it might not get prosecuted was infuriating. If I had found out they had to let him go because they made a mistake, it would have been worse. And those are the people that I keep thinking about. Coming up in a moment, we're going to do Did You Hear This? It's the way we catch you up on all the biggest news stories and headlines of the day. So that's coming up here pretty quickly. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, another crazy news day. Time to get you caught up on all the newsmakers. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. And earlier today, Mike, you spoke with retail analyst Kristen Bentz about inflation, but she sounded really concerned that we might soon be seeing a major supply chain issue soon due to the price of gas. Before, it was a workaround, right? I have to buy a container ship like Walmart did, and we're going to circumvent Vietnam. We're going to circumvent all of these other ports to get our goods to market. And if it costs us a little more, so be it. We did that for Christmas. Now, it's going to be cost prohibitive to get those goods to you. That's when things start getting really dicey. Mike, Do you think she was suggesting those empty grocery shelves we saw two years ago might be coming back? Yeah, I think that what she's talking about is there's a lot of goods and services that aren't going to be shipped because it's cost prohibitive. And here's something else. She sent me a tweet, forwarded a tweet to me from Zero Hedge. Uh, The Delivery Times Index climbed 11 points to 32.7, pointing to a substantial increase in delivery times. So a lot of goods aren't going to be shipped, and some of the goods that are shipped are going to take even longer to get to where they need to go. So this is a problem that's not been solved. You add to that the demand going up, and you're seeing huge inflation, and I don't know when it's ever going to stop, but she explained a lot on the the show today, and we're going to go into more detail about it in a few moments, of just how it's affecting the average American family. The president of Ukraine just delivered this message to Russian troops. We hear your conversations in the intercepts. We hear what you really think about this senseless war, about this disgrace, and about your state. On behalf of the Ukrainian people, I give you a chance, a chance to survive. If you surrender to our forces, we will treat you the way people are supposed to be treated. Mike, do you think this is a sign Ukraine is winning this war, or does he want Vladimir Putin to think that? I think that it is a sign that this guy is a very, very... uh, Um, able-bodied foe for Vladimir Putin. I think he is saying the right things. I think he is doing the right things. I think they have seen on their streets that there are many Russian soldiers that don't want to attack Ukraine. There is not just a relationship between these two nations. It's bloodlines and families that go back generations, and they are now going into Ukraine and firing upon civilians and cities, and many of their soldiers are discouraged and don't want to do it. It's not so much that they're losing the war. It's just that they don't have the will to fight the Ukraine. Ukrainians, they understand that what they're doing isn't right. And he's preying upon that and playing on their, you know, on what they're already thinking. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Didn't this guy used to be a stand-up comedian? I mean, this is a brilliant maneuver from him to talk directly to the soldiers and say, I know you don't want to fight. I know you don't want to die. Surrender and we'll treat you well. Is putting that in there, that bug in their ear is pretty amazing, and I think it's incredible. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to get you caught up.
All right, flu cases in Arizona are way down for the second straight year, and the coronavirus may be why. Jessica Riggler with the Department of Health Services weighs in. With such a high circulation of COVID-19 in the community earlier this flu season, it's possible that the COVID virus just beat out influenza as a circulating virus. She also thinks mitigation efforts like masks may be playing a role. Do you expect the flu to make a resurgence anytime soon? A guy would have no idea. I don't know anything about infectious diseases. I know that what they have stopped doing is counting cases. And they're looking at hospitalizations and deaths, which I think is what we should have always been looking at. Prevent high rates of hospitalization and death. Protect the people that are the most at risk, which are the older people. And we should have been doing that long before. We should make sure these people in nursing homes have every opportunity to be vaccinated and boosted so that they can protect themselves from death. And then that's the way we're going to get through all of this. And as far as the flu goes, I don't know. One from the other sometimes. And I could not tell you what's going to happen with the flu or the vaccine for the flu for that matter all right mike you're a really big music fan so i wanted to get your take on this dolly parton says she's not rock and roll enough for the rock and roll hall of fame she's a nominee for this year's class an honor many think is long overdue but not parton in a message on social media she says she's flattered and grateful for the nomination but doesn't think she's earned it so she's respectfully bowing out she says she hopes to be considered again if she's ever worthy there are country music musicians in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but do you think Dolly Parton is Hall of Fame worthy? I think she's Hall of Fame worthy, but I, I respect her and love her even more. I love Dolly Parton's music, and that song Jolene is one of my favorites by her. I love Dolly Parton, and this is one of the smartest things she's ever done. When you have bands from other genres, you don't call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's only football players in the Football Hall of Fame, baseball, basketball. I've got a friend that was inducted into the Rodeo Hall of Fame, and and you don't put people that don't rodeo in the Rodeo Hall of Fame. So I understand what you're doing, but you can't have bands that aren't rock and roll bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's the Music Hall of Fame. She should be front and center. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she's right. She's not rock and roll. She's country. Yeah, when you look at some of the bands that have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you just have to shake your head and think, come on. And, well, you know, you and ones hip- that have been excluded. Right. You have hip-hop stars in there. You have country music stars in there. And it's, again, I think at the very least, just change the name of it to, to right, Music yeah, That's Hall what of I think. You, yeah. If you called it the Music Hall of Fame right. and you had wings, right. you had a hip-hop wing, you had country, you have rock, that's right. a different story. Yeah. But if it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even the even the awards separate Emmys between daytime Emmys and movies, and you've got the Oscars, and yes, yeah. so they do things. They understand where their lane is. Whether you're a TV star or a movie star, there's different awards for that. Uh, it just it, it's frustrating. I guess it's not the end of the world if we're fighting about this. We got a pretty good life. But good for Dolly Parton saying no thanks. I'm not a rock star. That was pretty cool. What we're going to do in a moment is talk about inflation. Kristen Bentz joined me. She is a retail analyst. Her company is called KB Advisory Group. She is one of the most respected analysts in the country on all things when it comes to retail. How is inflation affecting the average family and what is it doing in the retail world? We'll discuss that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I had uh, Kristen Bentz was on with me. She is a retail analyst, and I met Kristen years ago, and she's just such a wealth of information on the retail world. Her job on Wall Street to to dumb it down as much as I needed it dumbed down is basically to make predictions on where retail, the retail industry was going for the people at the highest levels of Wall Street where they invest their money in the retail world. And she has been so on the money with her predictions based on her knowledge of the industry. And we talk about inflation and gas prices and things of that nature, but what are the effects? What's going to happen? And so I asked her about a breaking point and and uh, what's happening with families and uh, she was talking about the families that are already hurting. If your median income is about 60 grand, let's say, and you're a family of four, you're already hurting. So there's been so much talk about people being paid to stay home and stimulus and all of that stuff. All that's gone, okay? So when you have lower income families that can't work from home because of their jobs. Let's say you're a dental hygienist. Like, you got to kind of go to the office for that. So people that can't work from home that have to gas up their car every day and suffer food inflation. I mean, we've seen the worst inflation all around since 1982. They're hurting already. So those are the, you know, this is, again, things that we know. But what happens, see... For people, when you're in a situation, it is all-encompassing, and a situation like this is is destructive, and I'll, I'll explain what, what I mean by that. One of the points she brought up about retail, which I really didn't think of because I live alone now. My kids are grown. They have kids of their own, and I should have thought about it because they have kids. My kids have kids. Your children always need new clothes. You see, I'm I'm very lucky. I do a radio so I can sit here in T-shirts and jeans and baseball caps, and I don't have to dress up for work. I don't have to replace clothes. I do. I buy new clothes a lot, but I don't have to. So if it gets too expensive for me, I can back off. If you're a parent, you cannot buy yourself new clothes. Your kids are always growing. They're going to need shoes. They're going to need pants and shirts and underwear and socks. And it's a constant with parents. And it's about to become more and more and more expensive. Specifically about gas prices and inflation, the governor was weighing in on this, and this is what he said. I think what Congress ought to do is open the Keystone Pipeline. They ought to bring supply to the demand that's out there. That's the way to bring bring prices down. But that that's that's a long term solution. What short term should we be doing? There's all kinds of opportunities to tap supply. It wasn't all that long ago that America was independent. We were selling energy to our friends. Now we're buying it from our enemies. This is a failed energy policy from the Biden administration, and that's why we see resulting inflation. One quick follow-up question. We have our own 18 cent a gallon gas tax here. Should we be suspending that to provide... We should be expanding energy production and not pursuing gimmicks, especially when we have infrastructure projects in the state that need resources. So that's what the governor's weighing in, and this is what I think that is infuriating to people. I want you to hear the transportation secretary, and uh, now there is a narrative, and every administration does this. There is a narrative. You have a message, and everybody echoes the message, and then it sounds like the truth if everybody's echoing the message. Well, people are not buying the message, but I want you to hear it. Pete Buttigieg on CNBC 
and the message. Of course, the long-term solution for this is energy independence and a shift to renewable energy uh, here in this country. Uh, but let's also remember that while oil prices and, and gas prices are famously something that is largely outside of the direct control of any political figure, there are a lot of things that we could be doing right now that would bring direct relief to the pocketbooks of American families uh, that are greater than most any family's gasoline bill. That includes lowering the cost of insulin. President's for it. We're getting a lot of pushback from it or on it. Uh, lowering the cost of child care. We're for it. We're getting a lot of pushback. So we know that prices are going up in the fuel industry and we are not going to increase production here in the U.S. in the short term. What we should be doing is decreasing the cost of insulin because all of us need insulin. We all, you know. We're all diabetic. We all need insulin. Uh, Child care. I don't have any kids. Not going to help me. Not going to help me. So deflect. Don't blame politicians. This one's fascinating. I want you to listen to how absurd this is. The Biden administration tapped teenage TikTok influencers last week to coordinate messaging on Russians' invasion of Ukraine and blame Vladimir Putin for rising gas prices, according to a recording of a phone call between White House officials and the social media stars. There is a brilliance in this, and there's an idiocy to this. The children who are not paying for gasoline right now, but will be the leaders of tomorrow— are being asked to use social media platforms that you're probably not on. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I don't go on Snapchat. I don't go on TikTok. But young people do. It is the way they consume information. So you've got kids telling other kids about this. They're certainly not talking to people in my age group at 54 years old. So the idiocy of this is... We look at this and say, what are you doing for the people that actually buy the gas? But selling this bill of goods to people where you and I aren't going to go on TikTok, the Republican Party is not going to go on TikTok, uh, I don't believe, and, and start talking to kids about why this is not Vladimir Putin's fault, but it's part of the administration's. It's not going to happen. And what it does also is frustrate people because they're spinning their wheels. Americans are smart people. You know, there's there's a saying that I love from uh, from Judge Judy that she said, if it doesn't sound right, if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not true. There is a reason why just a couple of years ago, the American people were paying far less than three dollars per gallon for gasoline. There's a reason why in a year, less than a year and a half, we are now paying here in Arizona upwards of five gallons for uh, five gallons, five dollars a gallon for gasoline. And the American people are not stupid. The American people understand what the reasons are. That is a policy issue from this administration. You cannot run and see. They would have been okay in their own minds with the price increases that were livable with the American people doing what they did. What happened with Ukraine has thrown a monkey wrench in all of this because it has made it even worse to an unacceptable level. So they've got to say this was their fault all along. How could the inflation numbers from February be so ungodly high? How could you be paying so much for gasoline in February and have it be Putin's fault when he invaded at the end of February, beginning of March? It's impossible. 
So you heard Nancy Pelosi talk about it, the Putin price increase. The president has said it. The White House press secretary has said it. Pete Buttigieg, the transportation transportation secretary, is saying it. The energy secretary is saying it. So in unison, they keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. In this case, the American people aren't buying it because the American people understand and remember just a couple of short years ago, we were paying far less for gasoline. So first it was covid and supply chain, and now it's Putin. Isn't this the same president that said one day uh, on the campaign trail that he would take responsibility? That he would not pass the buck, that if he made a mistake, he would admit it? Doesn't feel like it, does it? One more little bit before we get out uh, this afternoon, or get out right before the afternoon. We're going to talk about something local that has national implications, and it comes to policing and your safety. That's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Phoenix police rank number one in deadly use of force compared to other major departments, according to Mapping Police Violence, which is a website that does this, says that Arizona accounts for 4% of deadly use of force going all the way back to 2013. 131 of these, 437 belong to the Phoenix Police Department. The other side of that is increasing assaults on Phoenix police officers is worrying the chief. I want you to hear Chief Williams from the Phoenix Police Department on Gatos and Chad talking about the attacks on cops being up. We're seeing upward trends and downward trends. It kind of depends on what the crimes are. I can say this, as far as assaults on police officers, we've seen a 31% increase over 2017 to 2021. How that compares to other cities across the country, I'm not certain. Well, I will tell you that police officers are human beings just like you and I are. And when you enter a situation and it becomes deadly, you want to be the one that walks away. And police officers, number one, want to go home at the end of their shift. They are willing to risk their lives, but they are not willing to lay down and die. And nor should they. So Ohio became the 23rd state to pass constitutional carry, which means almost half of American states now have a rule in place that says if you legally own a firearm, 21 years of age, you legally own a handgun, you can conceal that handgun on your person or in your vehicle. It is not against the law. And I and you hear people saying that it's going to become more dangerous. Arizona changed our law about 10 years ago or so, so that you could say. Same law here. And people were concerned about blood in the streets. The big concern was about um, now you're going to have chaos. And there was one person that was interviewed in Cincinnati that is a firearms instructor that said the same thing. Well, you know, um, from a business standpoint, if I were a firearms instructor, I would worry, too, because now you've taken away the legal obligation for training before you had a concealed weapon, which is going to damage business. But let's look at the reality of what this is. If you are a law-abiding citizen and you own a gun, you are not more dangerous if you carry that gun concealed at all. And that is the real issue here is how do we get the guns out of the hands of people that should not have them? Just take the last two instances in Phoenix where police officers were ambushed. In the West Valley a few weeks ago when uh, that guy lured a police officer to the front door and unloaded on him. 
that guy shouldn't have had a gun. You go back even further to that when young officer Tyler Maldivan was was ambushed and gunned down in such a horrific way. By the way, um, he is making amazing strides, according to his family, miraculous strides in his recovery. He has such a long way to go, but he has come a very long way. If you haven't seen the stories, um, it's pretty remarkable. But that person, convicted felon, shouldn't have had a gun. The incident on Sunday morning. 27th Avenue in Maryland, where um, a guy lured the police to his apartment complex where his brother unloaded 18 rounds from a 9mm pistol into a police car, wounding two police officers, one with gunfire and the other with flying glass. Um, The guy had a a weapons conviction, was sentenced to four years in prison in St. Louis, Missouri in 2015, I believe it was, December of 2015, was sentenced to four years in prison for a weapons charge, wasn't supposed to have a gun. So it isn't that we have too many guns. We have too many guns in the hands of people that are not supposed to have them. So I will tell you why gun laws like this are terrible. There are existing gun laws. The three perpetrators that attacked Phoenix police officers, just Phoenix police officers, not you, the average citizen, and the mindset of most people, which I think is accurate, is if you are willing to shoot a cop, you'll shoot anyone. If you are willing to go after the police, you have absolutely no respect for authority or human life. But in the incidents where three Phoenix police officers were ambushed and gunned down, in all three cases, it was against the law for those three people to own and possess a firearm. And yet... They still did. So you can make all the laws against me you want. I'll fight them every step of the way. But you're not fixing anything in society as long as people like that will continue to break the law. There's your problem. Not me. When you put more laws on the books, people like me follow the laws. You just make me less safe. Uh, You know, he doesn't, the other perpetrator is going to have a gun in his pocket. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about your laws. If you're willing to commit an, atom, commit an act of murder, you don't care about laws or people. So there's where your problem is with gun laws. And I wish people would understand that that's not where the solution lies. Solutions lies in when you get caught with an illegal gun, you pay a heavy price. Then you start ta- that starts going away a little bit. Or we just lock people away that need to be locked away. Social media users at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. That's where you find me. At Broomhead Show is the show page that updates you on things on the show. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. Would love to keep in touch. Back tomorrow. God bless.